lives. It's, it's intended to challenge us to live authentically in the power of Christ's forgiveness and to rely on his provision, but at the same time giving us some practical steps on how to do that. First week we talked about kingdom things from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Last week we talked about righteous things from Matthew 6 and 1. And this week I want to talk to us about religious things. Religious things. And so join me, if you will, in James chapter 1. And I'll be in verse 27. One verse. That's all I got. One verse. Let's prepare our hearts for the word. Hear these words of our Father. It says that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained from the world. Father, bless us today. Help us as we heed your word. God, speak powerfully to us today. God, we need you like never before. God, in a day and age where... Everyone's turning their backs on you. Where people are casting your name aside as if it were irrelevant. God, we need your power. So God, would you show up today? Speak to us today. God, I pray that you would stand in my body. That you would think through my mind and speak through my mouth today. God, I pray that your word would go out and it would accomplish what it set out to do. We know your word is like a two-edged sword severing the marrow from the bone. So God, I pray that this word would get deep down into the marrow of our souls. And God, when we hear this word, we might respond by saying, Lord, help us to obey. It's in that spirit that I pray. Let the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer, and who I place all my trust. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Ryan. That was so melodiously during my prayers. <laughs> took, took me to a different moment there. That was great. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have any sense. <laughs> Listen, most of us, if we're honest, we spent our childhood pretending to be something that we weren't. We all did that. Maybe some of you pretended to be soldiers who go around marching your parents' house, getting yelled at for stumping. Maybe some of you pretended to be Superman, probably broke a couple limbs, jumping off of couches, all that kind of stuff. Some of you pretended to be the finest chef in a restaurant, sitting there with your little butter knife, trying to help your mom cut up the food. You probably even brought your cool little hat that you can wear. And, you know, it's cute when you're a kid, to do that stuff. When I was a kid, 
I pretended to be, get ready, a podiatrist. That was my thing. Like, I thought that I was going to be the world premier foot doctor. I did. And here's why. Because my grandmama, grandma, see, I had some help in, in the second service. First service didn't know what I was talking about. Grandma used to have me rub her feet. And, you know, I used to have to rub grandma's feet. And I love my grandmother. So I would rub her feet. I would get the lotion out. And I would just rub. I, listen, I would get in between her toes. And I would be in there. I was. That's my grandmother. I loved her. She said, baby, I've been on my feet all day. My feet hurt. Baby, can you just rub my feet? And so I would rub her feet. And she made sure I didn't forget that bunion on her left pinky toe because that thing was throbbing. And so grandma, as I was rubbing her feet, she would pat me on my head. And she said, baby, you're going to be a podiatrist one day. And I would walk around believing that I was going to be a podiatrist. I couldn't even spell it or sound it out properly, but I was going to be a podiatrist. That's what I was going to do. So I would go around. Listen, I would go around with my stethoscope. You know, all little kids have stethoscopes. I would go around with my stethoscope, and I'd be listening to people's feet. Yes, I did. I said, let me let's see your feet, and I'd be down there like this, as if their feet could say something. Some of their feet was talking, but... <laughs> Listen, but I would go around. That was my aspiration was to be a foot doctor. And that's cute when you're a kid. But it's awkward when you're an adult. Imagine me now with my grown middle-aged self (laughs) going around with a stethoscope, listening to people's feet. That'd be strange. Very awkward. Some of you might call some people on me if I did that. (laughs) But if those behaviors that we pretended in our childhood persist until our adulthood, people think that there's something wrong. There was a kid in college with me. He used to wear a cape. Now, the first time he did it, he had a cape and a wand. The first time he did it, everybody thought it was cool. Like, (laughs) look at him, he's got on a cape. But then after weeks of wearing a cape, people started to say, what's wrong with homie? Like, is he okay? Like, is he good? It would even deter him from, deter people from taking him seriously when we were in class together because he was very smart and he would try to raise his hand for the right answer and people would start laughing at him when he raised his hand because he was pretending to be something that he was not. It's funny at first. But after a while, it becomes annoying. Now, let me translate that for us into the Christian life. There are many pretending to be something that they are not. Many of us are walking around pretending to be more religious than we actually are. Many of us are walking around pretending to pursue the main thing, even though we're only pursuing our thing. And so I want to paint this picture for us to help us to see here that from James chapter 1 verse 27, that religion that passes, that God the Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, is to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So I want to submit this idea to us today is that keeping the main thing means putting aside pretentiousness. 
Keeping the main thing means putting aside pretentiousness. And so here's what I want us to see. If we're going to put aside pretentiousness, guess what we need to have? We need to have a pure religion. See, this word here for pure in, in, in verse 27, it says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. No, he says before God the Father. See, most of us pursue religion before people. Most of us try to pursue purity and undefiledness before people. Because we want people to view us a certain way. We want people to think about us a certain way. And we don't align ourselves with the purity of God through his word. Instead, we position ourselves to have purity in the eyes of man instead of having purity in the eyes of God. But this word here for pure, it it just simply means clean. Uh, A clean and undefiled religion is one in which one's conduct and character are disciplined in accordance to the word of God. See, undefiled religion, pure religion, clean religion is one that is marked by being disciplined by the word of God. See, oftentimes we we discipline ourselves according to worldly standards instead of disciplining ourselves according to the word of God. And I want to encourage us today is that if we're going to pursue religious things, then we must walk rightly with the word of God. And I hear some of you echoing right now in your voice. But, Pastor, it's not about religion. It's about relationship. I'm going to help you out, too, today. See, clean character, clean undefiled religion is this because the word here for pure can also mean to be purified by fire. See, many people pretend to be religious, but they want nothing to do with the purifying fires of faith in Jesus Christ. They don't want to go through nothing. (laughs) Like, they don't want to endure suffering like a good soldier. Like, they don't want to have anything in their life happen outside of the order in which they have aligned it for it to go inside of their lives. Like, we don't want anything to go straight from the plan that we have for our lives. Like, we want everything to work out according to our plan. And so what I want us to see here as we walk through this, this word here, it talks about us being purified by fire. And so at times in this Christian walk, at times in this Christian life, guess what? You're going to have to go through some things that heat your life up a little bit. You're going to have to go through some things that cause you, watch this, to be purified by God's fire and his anointing fire that will allow for you to be able to become what he wants you to become. On the other side of fire, gold finds itself in a pure state. And so what we have to understand is is that God has something for us through our circumstances. And if we would just surrender ourselves and commit ourselves to being purified by God's fires, then we would have a pure religion. And so listen, here I want us to see this because we, we pretend a whole lot. We want nothing to do with these purifying fires of true religion. I know so many people who do a bunch of quote-unquote religious stuff, right? They, they're out there feeding the homeless and, and taking care of folks and all that stuff like that and giving people their shoes off their feet and all that stuff like that. And in the same night, they at the club grinding up on somebody. Like, I, I see it all the time. And not because I'd be, like, stalking, but, but because people put all their business up on social media. I didn't even got to look far. <laughs> Everything just right there. It's like, oh, okay, cool, man. Wow, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing that. We all wanted to know those things. Thank you. But this word also has the sense of pruning. 
so that something is fit to bear fruit. The point of religion is not being famous. I'll say it again. The point of being religious is not to be famous. It is to bear fruit. See, we see our lives, and some of us, we are, we are aligning our lives in such a way that we receive prominence from our actions and our practices instead of seeking the preeminence of Christ in our lives. And so we, we see being famous as the pinnacle of religion, and that's not the case. The pinnacle of religion is bearing fruit. And so I'm going to take time for a second because I want us to really understand this, and, and I want to walk us through some of these passages that have to do with bearing fruit. Is that okay? Mark chapter 4, verse 20. He says, But those that were sown on the good soil are ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. See, this, this passage in context, uh, in, in context for us is understanding here how we are aligning ourselves with being in good soil. Jesus told the parable of, of the seed that was being cast out and it, it went into rough soil and, and spot with thickets and all that stuff like that. But some of the seed fell on good soil. And so the seed that the, the good soil was the spot where people were able to hear the word and obey the word. And so the process of, of good soil, every, every soil that you see is not good from when it starts. Some soil is good because it's been aerated. Anybody know what aeration is? Anybody ever seen that process? It's, there's this tool <laughs> that they use and, and, they, and, they, and they rake the ground and where the ground has been hard and they rake it and it starts to soften up the ground underneath the, where, where you're aerating it. And, and it makes it a spot where it's good to plant some seed. And see, some of us, that's why we need to be planted in good soil. We need to find ourselves in a church where we can have the relationships that will cause us to have good soil around us so that we can have the seeds that God wants to plant in us to be dispersed in our lives. See, we, we need the good soil. Sometimes we need to be aerated in our lives. Sometimes we need that tool to rake over our back because we've got some hardness in us. Sometimes we need that tool to go over our lives because there are spots in our lives where we're holding on tight and we don't want to let go of. But God says, if you just let go, I'll plant some good seed there. And so I want us to see this, like th- that bearing fruit is the result of hearing the word of God and accepting it. Most of us go around saying, well, geez, I just feel. God, I just think. Well, what does the word say? What does the word say for your life? Are you hearing it and accepting it? Next one is this, John, 5, John 15 and 2. Y'all ready? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he removes. That's scary. But watch this. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Why? So that it may bear more fruit. See, some of us are so content with the little bit of fruit that we bear. Some of us are so content with the little seedlings of fruit that we bear. We say stuff like, well, I ain't cuss them out. (laughs) 
well, that's good. <laughs> like, you didn't cuss them out. But what, but what about blessing those who persecute you? Like, what, what about that? What about speaking life over those who speak cursings over you? Well, what about that? Like, I ain't cussing them out this time. That's good. Everybody's happy for you that you didn't cuss them out, especially the people on your job who sit in the cubicle next to you because you always loud and cussing at people, even though you're a Christian. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Not bearing fruit gets you removed. That's scary. But what we forget is that pure religion is a process by which we are pruned constantly in order to bear more fruit. We had a rose bush, and y'all probably heard me tell this story before, but we had a rose bush next to our house growing up, and I didn't know what the rose bush was, but my 80-year-old neighbor, 80-year-old white man, he would come outside. He lived in Camden his whole life. He, he was a school teacher there. He, he came out with his shears, and he would cut our tree. And so at first, I'm like, Mr. Jim, why are you cutting our tree? But then he started to teach me and my brother. He says, listen, you got to prune it. Or else it won't grow properly. You, 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 sometimes you got to cut off some of the dead things that are hanging on to it in order that new life might come through. And some of us, we need to have the pruning shears of God through community come over our lives and snip away some of the dead wood that is hanging off of us that is preventing us from growing in the way that God would have us to grow. And so this bearing fruit here, it helps us to understand, to see that being pretentious is not going to get you there. See, sometimes you have to show, listen, I've got some things in my life that aren't growing as healthy as they should. I got some things in my life that, 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 that just aren't growing at, at the rate that everything else is growing in my life. Can you help me out with this? And somebody says and say, sure, we got to cut this off. You got to cut that off. You got to stop doing this. You got to stop thinking like that. You got to stop believing like this. And they start snipping stuff away and they encourage you through the word of God, which will cause you to be pruned by the shears of God. See, Jesus works through us and we have to, we have to see that without a commitment, to being aligned with Jesus will never walk rightly before him if we're not committed to him. We just spent the past 21 days praying that God would help give us a more passionate, thriving relationship with him, right? Shout out to everybody who got up at 6 in the morning, right? Give yourselves a hand, like getting up 6 in the morning, getting on there for that call. Some people told me, it's like, Pastor Derek, some days you look sleepy. <laughs> I was like, every day I was sleepy. <laughs> but listen, man, we, we, we got to see this. And we got to see how this stuff works out. John 15, 4. Y'all, y'all tracking with me? Y'all good? All right, come on, here we go. John 15 and 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you Unless you abide in me. Pure religion cannot be separated from abiding in Christ. I'll say it again. Pure religion cannot be separated from abiding and dwelling in Christ Jesus. See, pure religion draws us away from the pretentiousness that will cause us to believe that we can lead a life without deep connection to Jesus. The world will try to convince you 
that doing good deeds is enough. The world will try to convince you that if you just get on Instagram and show everybody that you gave a homeless person your shoes off your feet and then you started walking back to your car, probably where you had another pair of sneakers to put on, doing that is not enough to abide in Christ. Pursuing the main thing means having a deep and passionate relationship with Jesus and calling others into the same reality with him. Here's why. John 15 and 6. Uh, John 15, 16, excuse me. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give to you two realities in there. Number one, you didn't choose you. God chose you. And and to not respond through the pursuit of pure religion and having a passionate, thriving relationship with him is to turn your nose up at the fact that Jesus chose you. Hear me. Jesus chose you. And that is a special reality because there are people who are still walking around today who are lost And so what we have to understand is this, is that what Jesus cares about more than anything else is lostness. He cares about people's losses, and he wants us to walk in a reality where we understand that the reason why we're no longer lost is not because we did anything good, but because he chose us. You didn't choose you, God chose you. The second reality is this, is that if if you're bearing fruit and your fruit's abiding, you can ask whatever you want. And he'll give it to you. Because the reality is this. The only way that you bear fruit is to align yourself with the word of God. That's the way you bear fruit. And if you are aligning yourself with the word of God, more than likely, the things that you ask God for are things that align with his will. And so if you want to get what you ask for, guess what? Align yourself with his word and he'll answer. So it goes on to say, listen, that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this. The word for undefiled there is a word that means to be unsoiled or not deformed. See, deformed means not having the natural or normal shape or form that something should have. And the reality is, is that oftentimes through community, we can see the deformities in one another's walk with Jesus. And so what happens, you know, little kids, you take them out sometimes, and sometimes you'll see somebody who has a deformity. And what do kids do? They stare, right? They just go staring at the person like this. And you tell them, baby, stop staring. Don't do that. Like, it's okay. But the reason why those deformities are so glaring is because they're, they're not how things normally should be. And so some of us have deformities in our lives that are glaring and people are staring at those things. And at times we don't even notice it because we've been living with it for so long that it's become normal for us. And so we need other people. We need community. That's why you all got to sign up for community groups. Go on the church center app and find yourself in a community group. 
sign up so that you can live woven and so that other people can help you out to see what's called your blind spots. Because we all have them. We all have blind spots. We all have places in our lives where we need other people to look in and say, hey, listen, I know you may not be aware of it, but you got an anger problem. <laughs> like, I know you may not be aware of it, but you're a little bit flirtatious. Like, I know you may not be aware of it, but the way that you talk to your kids sometimes is a, is a little bit unsavorable. Like, I, I don't really like it. Like, we need people who can peer into our lives and show us those things because we have blind spots. And so pretentiousness, here's what it does. It will deform your ability to properly perceive the main thing in your life. So many times we're walking around pursuing after things that are not the main thing is because pretentiousness has deformed our ability to be able to even see the main thing. And so we start perceiving the main thing as other things, which, watch this, are not bad things in and of themselves, but they're not the main thing. And so if you want to stay in line with the main thing, stop being pretentious. Stop making people think that you've got it all together when you actually don't. Stop trying to convince people that you never do anything wrong when you actually do stuff wrong all the time. Stop trying to make people convinced that you are always in line with the rules and regulations of how things are supposed to go, when they're supposed to happen, how it's supposed to work out, when the reality is is that we're all sinners and we fall short of the grace of God every single day. So let me help because I still hear you saying it. Well, Pastor, this is about relationship it's not about religion the word here for religion simply means worship so the greek word i want you to see that it only appears four times in the new testament two of those times are in this passage here and so in this passage here it's pointing us to the reality that it's apparent that god's emphasis is not on religious rituals but on right living. So I would argue that, listen, as a believer, you ought to have good religion. It's not just about relationship because you need to have aligned yourself with right living over above religious rituals. I know this term has a negative connotation in your mind. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But according to to the scripture, this word here, It carries the idea of an outward expression of belief and not the content of belief as it like contrasting the Christian religion with Buddhism or something like that. Like you're not comparing the contents of those religions. It's referring to the outward expression of your belief. We say here at Epiphany that we lead lifestyles of worship. That's your religion is a lifestyle of worship. And so what we want to help see is this, is that the main idea of religion is that religion is an action and not some construct. See, when when one is pursuing, hear me, after Christ first, right? We talked about that in in, in the first one in kingdom things from, from Matthew 6.33, that, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, right? And his righteousness. So So when we're pursuing after Christ first, that person's actions will reflect their pursuit. See, religion ought to reflect your pursuit. Your actions ought to reflect your pursuit. Let me help you out because y'all looking at me funny. Listen, men, when you was first keen on your 
bae or your boo or your shorty, whatever you call them now. I've been married over a decade, so I don't know. That's just baby to me. I don't know what y'all call it. Bae. When you was first had your eye on her, right? You did any and everything to pursue her and to convince her that you wanted her to be yours. Yes, we did. Then what happened? You locked Shorty down, and then you started to get absent-minded about some of the things that you used to do for her when you was trying to convince her that you was trying to be with her. We're all guilty. Come on. Don't have me up here by myself. You used to bring her flowers. You used to send chocolates to her job. Even though she worked at a private facility and can't receive gifts like that at her job, you was getting her in trouble, but she didn't care. She was like, my baby sent me chocolates. Like, everything is good. Like That's what you would do. You'd be taking her to the best restaurants. You couldn't even afford it. You were sending her to the best restaurants. You'd be trying to figure out how you could work extra hours at work so that you could pay for this meal at Sullivan's because you had to take care of her because you wanted to show her. Baby, I want you to be mine. Sullivan's is expensive. <laughs> I go there once a year for my birthday. That's it. <laughs> and I save up for it. <laughs> but we did all these things because our actions reflect our pursuit. And so you guess what? Your relationship is in trouble when your actions don't reflect your pursuits. If that's true with your spouse... How much more is that true with God? That your actions have to reflect your your pursuit. You can't be walking around here like you love God. Like, I love God. Do you love God? What's wrong with you? Like, you can't be walking around here like that. But when it comes time to action, you go missing. You can't be out here proclaiming that you're this great Christian, but when it comes time to loving those who are who, who hate you, what do you do? You turn around to return hate to them. Jesus has called us to love our enemies, but we don't do that. We fall right in line with worldly standards that say, if you get me, I'm going to get you back. If you say something wrong to me, I'm going to up the ante on you. But here's the main action that will prove your religion before God and people. Y'all ready? Jump back to James chapter 1, verse 26. Here's what it says. If anyone thinks he is religious... Without controlling his tongue. His religion is useless and he deceives himself. Let me cue you in on this. Your tongue is a mass murderer. Your tongue has committed more murders than the greatest serial killer in our history. We murder people with our words all the time. We cut them down, we chop them up, and then we spit them out. You cannot have right religion and not know how to control your tongue. 
That's why it's not good enough to say, well, pastor, I ain't cuss them out. Did you bless them, though? If you if you just didn't cuss them out, then, then you, you just traded one thing for another, because the reality is, although you didn't cuss them out outwardly, you cussed them out on the inside. And so if you're going to have pure religion, if you're going to have a true religion, then guess what? You got to learn how to control your tongue. I know that's tough because, listen, it's hard sometimes. And some of us, if we're honest, it's harder for us than it is for other people because, you know, we got stuff in our blood. (laughs) You know. I mean, hotness. Some of y'all just hot in your blood. Y'all just, (laughs) in a moment, y'all just go zero to 60. Just, like, you're just gone. People be trying to catch you, like, come back. Don't do it. You're gone, though. Everybody just, everybody got sprayed. Just, (laughs) just a mess. But listen, we have to learn to control our tongues. Here's why. The number of people who have been turned away from religion because they've been turned away because they look at us and they say they cussing everybody out just like me matter of fact they doing it worse i thought they was a christian did you hear how they were talking to their kids in the store i thought i thought you was a believer did you hear how they talked to the to the lady at the at the counter at the register and she rang the stuff up wrong even though she didn't mean to you try to act like she was trying to rob you or something like that? It's Walmart, people. Like, relax. <laughs> it was only like $7 anyway. Just chill out. You got to cuss. You got to degrade her whole life like, because she, she rang you out wrong. <laughs> like, she ain't trying to rob you. We got to control our tongues. We must. And the way that we do that is aligning ourselves with this. If we're going to have a pure religion, then we got to have a perceptive religion as well. Are y'all getting the idea that, that this idea of religion has to do with right action? It doesn't have to do with rituals. Are y'all understanding that? And so I hear you when you say it's not about religion, it's about relationship. I hear you. I hear that. And I agree with that. But the reality is, is that if anyone has good religion, it should be believers in Jesus. We should be the ones who are outdoing the world and showing good deeds towards one another. Amen? So if you're going to do that, you've got to have a perceptive religion. Here's what it looks like. He says here, he says, pure and undefiled religion is before God the Father is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress. See, James gives us a clear command to look after two groups of people. This word for look after is, is also the word for, for visit. Like you could it says to visit the, 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 the orphan and the widow. But it's a word that also means to care for, right, or to check on. And so James, he gives us this idea because the sense of this word, but the word that's translated here, we see that in Hebrews uh, chapter 2, verse 6. It, here's what it says. It says, it has been stated, what is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? That's the word there, care. And so us looking after orphans and widows ought to look like the care of God for them. I'll help you. People say all the time, right, that 
you know, Jesus, he spent time with homeless people and he spent time with the prostitutes and like all that stuff. And so they then therefore think that if they would just go and serve the homeless and feed them, right? And if they would go and hang out with prostitutes and people who are destitute and all that kind of stuff, that, that, that makes them more like Jesus. But the reason that, they, that Jesus spent time with prostitutes and homeless people had nothing to do with their prostitution or their homelessness. It had everything to do with their lostness. See, Jesus spent time with them because they were lost. Jesus didn't care about whether or not they had a house or whether or not they were prostituting. That stuff didn't matter to Jesus. What mattered to Jesus was that their souls were lost and that they needed a savior to bring them back from the brink of sin and hell. And so if we're going to keep focused on the main thing, guess what we got to do? We have to have the same care that Jesus had for the orphan and the widow. What that looks like is this, is that we're not just so concerned about their homelessness per se. We'll take care of that stuff, but we are concerned about their lostness. And so once we can get to their lostness, guess what? Then we can start to uh, understand better the plight of the homeless and the plight of the prostitute. We can understand that stuff better because we understand it from the position that God understands it from. Lostness. And so, listen, we've got to see very clearly that we've got to focus on the main thing in that because pure religion will call us to visit and check on, you know, these groups of people. However, we need to shift our perspective in order to do that. We have a perspective about what our religious pursuits ought to look like, meaning that we can't pursue everything. <laughs> like, w- listen. We love people who are, you know, destitute and all that kind of stuff. We planted a church to be on the block in the middle of it for the glory of Christ. That's what we did. But we can't go after every single one of those needs. It would detract us from the main thing, which is to see people who are lost become saved. People who are saved become pastored. People pastor get trained and people who get trained to get them mobilized out to start the cycle over again and do the thing over. That's what our main thing is, to help people love the word, live woven, lead lifestyles of worship so that they can ultimately leverage their word. That's what we're after. And so we got to stay focused on the main thing. Here's the main thing it looks like according to James. Care for orphans and widows in their distress. Somebody say distress. Orphans are defined as those who are fatherless, obviously, right? But it's also defined as people who are comfortless. It also has the sense of those who are bereft of a teacher or a guide, those who are deprived of a teacher or a guide. So when Christ speaks about seeking after him in, in Matthew 6, he, he's, there's an implication that we are to love those who Christ loves, right? And so here's what I want us to see. Here's what I want us, us to understand. I would love for us to be a church that adopted a whole bunch of kids who are in foster care. I would love for us to do that. I also want us to recognize that there is also spiritual orphanage as well as physical orphanage. There are more spiritual orphans in the state of Delaware than there are physical orphans in the state of Delaware. 
Guess what? You've got some spiritual orphans who live right next door to you. If you live in a city like I do, some of you, your house is connected to theirs. And you can hear them arguing <laughs> in the house when things aren't going right. But there's, there's spiritual orphanage everywhere. And so if we're going to care for the orphans, that means that we have to love those who Christ loved. And he loved the spiritual orphan as well as he loved the physical orphan. And so if we're seeking after Christ's kingdom and his righteousness, we're going to have to have the mind and the heart of Christ in order to pursue after spiritual orphans. Jesus spent time with those who were helpless spiritually. We have to put ourselves out to spend some time with people who are orphans spiritually as well. You have to step out and do some things that you wouldn't normally do in order to reach people like that sometimes. That's just what we have to do. So here's what I want us to understand. Jesus' life was characterized by helping those who were in need and vulnerable, right? But the main thing for Jesus was lost people. He gave so many examples, so many parables about about how the, how he cared for the lost, like the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost sheep, all these parables that he gave about his concern for lost people. And we have to care for those as well. And so the word there, it means a, a, a physical orphan, but we got to see that there are people who are deprived of a teacher spiritually. Who you decide to be your teacher matters. Who you decide to be your teacher is important. Let, let me, I'm going to show you this because I want you to see this from the scriptures, not from me. Uh, 2 Timothy 4 and 3. It says, for the time will come when people will not tolerate sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, <clears throat> excuse me, they will multiply teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear what they want to hear. See, the reality is, is that people aren't as deprived of teachers as we think think they are. They're just deprived of the right teacher. People have so many teachers right now. (laughs) Like everything is teaching them. The culture is teaching them. Come on. Instagram is a teacher. Facebook is a teacher. Snapchat is a teacher. TikTok is a teacher. Pornhub is a teacher. Tinder is a teacher. We spend our time being taught by those things, but we don't spend our time being taught by Jesus. We don't spend our time being taught by the word of God and hearing what he has to say. See, in Jesus' time, who you, taught, who you chose to be your rabbi was vital. <laughs> right? You couldn't just go around like with a bum <laughs> rabbi. Like, like, who's your rabbi? My rabbi, man, his name, his name, uh, uh, Leroy. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's like Leroy. I don't know about Leroy. The same Leroy from over there? Like, oh, man, you're doing bad then. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you weren't here in the first service when I said Leroy, and then it just kind of stuck, and now you're here. So it's kind of awkward, but don't worry about it. We will move right past this. 
We got teachers, but we need the right teacher. Here, listen to this. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says, Although by this time you ought to be teachers yourselves, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. (laughs) See, some of us need to be at the point where we're teachers, but yet we're still having to be taught with milk. You're still in the same place you were five years ago when you became a Christian. That's why you say stuff like, well, at least I ain't cuss them out this time. Well, you should have not been cussing them out five years ago. How about now you live your life in such a way that they know that you care about them and that they would never mistreat you because they know that you have a genuine concern for them and that you'll go out of your way for them, even if it means your own detriment. And so we got to live our lives in that way. Like, but we, you know, we still need to be taught with milk. We can't pursue the main thing because we're stuck on basic things. Basic, like, don't lie. (laughs) We be stuck, (laughs) like, just on basics. Basic stuff, like, don't cuss them out. (laughs) Like, it's, it's not hard, like, just... Just relax, (laughs) breathe, like remember that you can forgive as you have been forgiven because you've been forgiven much. And so we walk around angry with people and holding grudges against people. But the scripture tells us to forgive as we've been forgiven. Basics. Like this ain't even like high level stuff here. This is basic stuff. So we got to choose the right teacher. Amen. We can't choose wrong teachers. Like, you can't just go to the university because, you know, they accepted you. <laughs> like, like you got to choose the university that's going to help you propel yourself into the type of place that you want to be. Like, like, you can go to the school that has a business program or you can go to the school that has one of the best business programs if you get into it because it sets you up for opportunities. The same thing with a teacher. You can't just choose these bum teachers out here. Like, choose the best teacher who ever lived. His name is Jesus, and he will instruct you in the things of God so that you can walk uprightly before him and so that you can live a life that's pleasing to him. And at the end of your days, you might hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. I'm out of time, but I got to move. So listen, you know, widows and all this stuff like that, take care of them too. Widows are just people without deficiency. <laughs> I'm, I'm out of time. I want us to, to go. But widows are folks without deficiency, like people with deficiency. Um, Timothy made a delineation about who is a widow, like, and all that kind of stuff. But here's what I want you to understand. <laughs> the church's responsibility is to not meet every single need in its community. That's not its responsibility. The church's need is to focus on the main thing, which is to build and protect the family of God. By build, I mean invite others into the family of God. Add people into the number of the family of God who get to be your cousins and your sisters and your brothers in Jesus, right? And then protect the family of God. Live in such a way that we call people to holiness. Because holiness is the greatest protection that we can have. Just live holy. We don't talk about that no more. But just live holy. You ain't got to worry about catching nothing. Just live holy. You ain't got to worry about getting nobody pregnant. That's not your spouse. If it's your spouse, do your job and get her pregnant. Sorry. (laughs) Have babies, multiply, fulfill the the earth. Let's do that. But you ain't got to spend your time worried about that stuff. If you live holy, if you live righteous, 
if you pursue religious things, right? I ain't talking about the world's view of religion. I'm talking about God's view of religion, which is right action. My last little thought is this, and I'm out of time, but y'all bear with me. We got to have a protective religion. Here's what it says. It says, look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word therefore keep means to attend to carefully, to, to look after, but it, it also means a fortress or a full military alignment. The pursuit of the main thing in your life will act as a military installation in your life. It will act as a fortress in your life. It will keep you from going off the rails if you are just pursuing after the main thing. You got to wake up every morning saying, Jesus, how can I glorify you today? Jesus, how can I make your name most famous in, in the city of Wilmington today or in the earth today? How can I do that? God, how can I make waves for you? Not how can I make my name bigger? How can I make your name glorified? And so we got to focus on the main thing and keep our lives unstained from the world. The world is this system. It's the word cosmos. It refers to a, a world system or the evil age. But it, it also refers to finite wisdom. The world, finite just means limited. The world represents finite wisdom. We must keep ourselves from the finite wisdom of the world, which seeks to co-op good deeds and service as markers of morality. When in reality, the only true marker for morality is being washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's the only marker for morality. And aligning yourself so that you could be purified by the word of God. In his farewell address, George Washington said this. He said, religion and morality are, the, are indispensable supports of one another. Let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. Reason and experience both forbid us to expect that religious principles are outside of morality and vice versa. Morality is a necessary spring of popular government and it is a sincere friend of the fabric of society. There are not few who evidently believe that national morality can occur without religion. You might as well expect a stream without a fountain or a tree without a root. Mere philanthropy and altruism will never suffice to sustain and uphold the standards of morality. All moral sanctions must go back 
to a belief in God and his higher law. Family, let's not buy into the lie that all you have to do is do a bunch of good things and you'll be all right. Let's not buy into the lie that you just have to be better than the next man or woman. And that's the key to life. Don't buy it. Buy into the reality that the only way to be truly religious, the only way to have true morality is to align yourself with the word of God and submit yourself to being washed by the water of the word over and over and over and over again. We can't do this without a commitment to the word of God. And so maybe you're in here right now and you're just saying, man, I don't really know how to get there. I don't know how to get to that point. I don't know how to make that a reality. I've just been living my life trying to do the best I can. And I've been trying to make life work on my own terms by being a good person. Like, I try to help people when they need help. I try to care for people. You know, I try to be there to talk to people and all that kind of stuff. That's not your source. And that's not your end. Your source and your end are the glory of God and his righteousness and his kingdom. And so we've got to pursue the main thing. So if you're in here and you've not taken a step to pursue after the main thing, which is Jesus, we want to invite you to that today. We want to invite you to a life that's surrendered to Jesus. We want to invite you to a life that's submitted to him. And one that allows you to walk in a way where the other things of life don't seem as important because you're pursuing after the main thing. And so the only way to that is through Jesus, his sacrifice for you on the cross and believing that Jesus died for you, that he came and lived the perfect life, died for you, was buried in a grave for three days. And after three days, he got up from that grave with all power in his hands. And there were witnesses who saw his resurrection, who testified of his resurrection, people who wrote about his resurrection. We could trust in that fact. And so I want you to put your trust in Jesus today. He is the only one that can save you. Money can't save you. Status can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. And so why don't you put your trust in him today? Father, I pray that if anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you today, God, I pray that they would surrender their lives to you. I pray that they would give in to the nudging that they feel right now. I pray that they would give in to the the calling that they hear from Jesus. They're saying, just trust me. You may not know fully what it looks like, but just trust me. God, I pray that we would surrender ourselves to you in such a powerful way. God, be glorified in us, your people. Help us to pursue righteous things. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen.